It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July 21st, 2016. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dad. Hey, Jacob. Great to be with you. Good tonight. to be with you. Monty's behind the board, Monty. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Jacob. And uh well, we've had a good week so far this week. It's been busy here in Columbia, Tennessee, but it's been a really great week. We've really uh, enjoyed our opportunities for Bible study and uh, uh, serving in the kingdom of God. This was the week for our community Bible study, Jacob, as you well know. And uh, Monday and Tuesday nights, we were downtown at the Memorial Building Auditorium and uh, really had some good sessions. Steve Klein from Athens, Alabama, Athens, Alabama taught us on the Christian and his vote, uh, mm-hmm. how to make our nation better. And of course, the emphasis was strongly on Stand for moral truths. Right. Convert our neighbors to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ and that sort of thing. And it was really a good session. Well attended. We thought we really had an encouraging time. And uh, we did. And you're probably kicking yourself right now because you forgot about it or you couldn't attend. But never fear. There's some audio and video available for you to view. Yeah, if you go to our homepage, not at the virtualbiblestudy.com, but at collegeview.com today. Well, yesterday uh, I had up both of the videos of the two nights, and today I got up both of the audios of the two nights, either in MP3 or WMA formats, and you can listen to them or download them there. All right. So you'll definitely want to hear them. Yeah. Might even, I know. We might even throw them in the sermon uh, I thought feed. you might podcast them. I'll throw them in the feed tonight. That's what we'll do. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it that way. So you catch them there. If you're not subscribed to our sermon audio podcast feed, find out more at collegeu.com under Sign Up Resources. And that's also where you can find out how to sign up for the Virtual Bible Study Podcast so you never miss another sermon or VBS podcast. Yeah, it was really good. And uh, we we think Steve Klein did an excellent job. And the truths that were discussed were, of course, of great value. And we just uh, really appreciated the opportunities that this week has held for All us. All right. If you're listening to us because you came and found out about us at the Community Bible Study, welcome. We hope that you enjoy our study together tonight. If you're new here, regardless of how you found us, we're glad that you're here. This is a listener interactive program, which we benefit from your contributions. You do so by giving us a call at 877-381-4567, by emailing questions at collegeview.com, or by signing into the chat room at the bottom of your video feed if you're listening to us live on the virtual Bible study tonight. Well, when I saw your update email come across today, got to thinking about it. You know, on the controversial scale, I think this is probably negative. It's like it's so far down on the scale, it's probably negative. You know, it's a little bit unfortunate, but we discover over, hey, by the way, we we let our uh, birthday, virtual virtual Bible study birthday, pass by uh, unobserved. Yeah. Uh, we passed our 11th birthday. We're now into our 12th year of the virtual Bible study. We're almost a month into it, aren't we? 
Well, a couple weeks into it. Yeah? Yeah, I think it's around July 4th, 5th, something like okay. that, when we had our first virtual Bible study. But 2005. Uh, yeah. So, so this we finished. We have finished now 11 years. We're working on 12 years. And we're starting into our 12th year. Pretty amazing. Um, but having said that, I think we've got a topic tonight that we've never talked about before. No, we haven't. Uh, it's not, and, but it, uh, it's not controversial, but it's going to be a good topic. But, and, well, I started to say what we have found is that controversial subjects draw bigger listening audiences and, and more participation, which is perhaps understandable, but not necessarily always a good thing. We don't have to be talking about controversy in order for it to be valuable to us. And I think tonight's topic is valuable. We want to talk about types and antitypes in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, that may be a dis- that may be a title that some people say what are they what does that mean uh but it is an important uh biblical principle and uh i think uh, as bible students we want to understand how the lord used types and antitypes in order to reveal things to us all right it is it is i'm looking forward to the discussion because these things are very helpful for us in understanding the big picture of the bible and God's plan for mankind. But I think they're also helpful in helping us to realize that the Bible is something that's not natural. There, there is a divine intervention in the, in the Bible for the types of imagery that we're going to see that span throughout the Bible, This these uh, figures and types and antitypes that go throughout thousands of years uh, as the writers of the Bible, different writers that didn't know each other, hadn't even perhaps read what the others were writing, and these, imager, these images follow through and, and work perfectly throughout the Scriptures, the unified theme and unified uh, images that we see in the Scriptures. Exactly right. And, and the only way it could have happened is because right. God was guiding the right. process. And we're going to look at the, this, just minor details, minor details that are highlighted as have been significant thousand years after they happened that, uh, no, that just couldn't happen by chance. And, right. and so I think these are, are powerful images for us to learn from and, tonight. And so what you're saying there, basically, Jacob, is that this is a faith-building evidences sort of study, as well as uh, just a, a study of how God revealed himself. It, it, there's there's a faith-building evidence there for us to see how God worked through time. In the minor details of the Bible. Yeah. It's not in the distant, the great, big, grand picture, but in the down to the minor, minor details, there's significance, and it's, uh, it is amazing. Yeah. Earlier today, to our update list, about 11 o'clock this morning, we sent out, uh, an, uh, 11 o'clock central time, we sent out an email telling what our topic was going to be and asking some questions for you to consider and give feedback. Now, here's the questions. If you're not on our update list, get on it by sending an email to questions at collegeview.com. And we sent out these questions. Number one, what is a type and an antitype? But what I was actually asking for here, first off, is give us give some everyday examples, not Bible examples. What would be some some physic in the physical world? What would be some examples of type and antitype? Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, what are some principles to remember when trying to discern biblical types and antitypes? Number three, what are some extremes to avoid in the use of and application of biblical types and antitypes? And then number four. Give some actual examples. Now, there are some examples in the Bible where they, where the type and antitype are actually named. And that terminology, that terminology is actually in the Bible. Yes. Uh, but then there are some others that are pretty clear types and antitypes that we just draw from our own, uh, 
understanding of, of events and, and statements in Scripture. All right. So let's start out with the first one. What is a type and an antitype? I, to me, always the, the the simplest way to remember what we're talking about is to think about a typewriter. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of people are not too familiar with typewriters anymore since we've no, gone it's all a digital. Dying, uh, dying thing. Yeah, but uh, anybody who a little bit older, you don't have to be as old as me, but anybody who's a little bit older can remember old typewriters, mm-hmm. and they had they had a set of arms with with engraved markings on the end of those arms and when you pushed a key that arm would fly up hit a ribbon and the ribbon then was mash against the white paper and leave an impression Mm -hmm. these these images on these arms on the typewriter that was the type when it flew up and smashed on against the ribbon and onto the page what ended up on the page was the anti-type type and anti-type i think that's the easiest example of it um there's another example we sometimes use of a rubber stamp. You know, I think a lot of people looked at a rubber stamp, and you have to kind of turn your head upside down and backward, or look backwards to try to read what that is. When you stamp it on the page, then you can see it clearly. Right. The rubber stamp is the type. The antitype is the clear statement or, or wording that it leaves on the page. Okay. Type and antitype. Yeah. All right. So that's very easy imagery for us to understand there what we're talking about with type and antitype chris in the uk says the type is the initial allusion to something and the antitype is its fulfillment exactly right uh that's right thank chris he said uh unfortunately today people settle for just allusions for things like i live near cornwall's eden project a quarry turned multi-climatic garden under biodomes a nice place but not paradise exactly uh he says others could be for non-biblical ones that they're achilles uh, their achilles heel or the hacker used a Trojan horse. And so, so sort of some imagery there that uh, would sort of look at something in the past, and it describes something today. You know, we hear about yeah. Trojan horse viruses. Yeah. Uh, and so they're, they're an allusion to, to that. Uh, he says, for biblical ones, she turned the other cheek. He was a good Samaritan, and, and it's so old it came off the ark. Okay. All right. So Thank allusions you, to things in the Bible. Thank you, Chris, for that. Yeah. Again, that's uh, Chris from the U.K. Let me give one, and then we're going we're gonna, to... Uh, try to give more specific ones a little later i i've got my notes a little bit out of order but one here's one example of a type and an antitype as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness this is actually this is gospel of john chapter 3 verse 14 correct as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness now what was that about well you remember when the children of israel had sinned and god sent fiery serpents in among the people and in order to stop what was happening, God told Moses to erect a brazen serpent on a pole, and whoever looked upon the brazen serpent would be spared from the the, the vengeance of the the fiery serpents. Right. That's what John is alluding to. Actually, uh, Jesus is the one who's making this statement. John's recording it. As Moses was uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So the brazen serpent on the pole that stopped the, the 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 punishment of the fiery serpents for the sins of the people, that was sort of a shadowy foreindication, a previous indication of what Jesus would do ultimately in real fulfillment when he was raised up on the cross of Calvary, and he saved us from the punishment for our sins, right. ultimately. Right. That was just a shadowy foregoing, the brazen serpent on the pole, 
Jesus on the cross was the the full whole aspect of it. It was the completeness of that. So you got type, the brazen serpent, the antitype, Jesus on the cross. Again, down to those minor details. Why did God have a bronze serpent on a pole? What's that have to do with anything? Well, that's foreshadowing and looking forward to when Christ would heal those that were dying of sin uh, while being hung on the cross. And so there is that type and antitype relationship. Very powerful. Yeah. All right. Let that, me... that, 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 that's, that imagery is still used today, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. In medical, the medical field. Oh, the, yeah, the, the brazen the, serpent, the, is the, that's the symbol of the of, of doctor's One symbol. snake for the doctor, two snakes for the vet. Yeah. And, oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, that. but it's, that, it's, an, it's, it's, it's referring a, back to that yeah. uh, account in Numbers. Yeah, but, but that account in Numbers was sort of a prophetic hint of what Jesus would do in reality yeah. when he died on the cross. Right. All right, here, let me give you some commentative dic, uh, dictionary-type definitions. M.S. MS Terry in Biblical Hermeneutics wrote, A type is the preordained representative relation which certain person events and institutions of the Old Testament bear in corresponding persons events and institutions in the New Testament. So something happened in the Old that, that bears a reference to something that would happen in the New a, uh, a preordained representative relation. Uh, here's what Wick Brumley in, in Baker's Dictionary of Theology wrote. A type is a shadow cast on the pages of Old Testament history by a truth whose full embodiment or antitype is found in the New Testament revelation. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe here's the clearest. D.W. Bullinger in Figures of Speech Used in the Bible says a figure or in sample, a figure or example of something future and more or less prophetic called the antitype. The type predicts the antitype. So so th- there's some definitions. That's what type and antitype is. W- we have such things in the real physical world. God used them in spiritually revealing his truth to mankind. And we know that there's some actual ones. Uh, that terminology is found in the scriptures, and we'll look at it here in a minute. Um, but let's just, well, let's, let's do that. Let's look at some of the places where that terminal, how much time we got? We're about ready for a break. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about this actual terminology used in the the scripture. We're not making it up. God used this type of imagery to help convey his message to us. It's in the scriptures. The terminology itself is used and the principles are set forth that God has chosen to reveal himself using this type of imagery. We'll talk about it on the other side. The chat room's quiet tonight. Why not uh, sign in? Let us know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. There's more of the Virtual Bible Study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century, there it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten, there it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty, there it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned, there it stands. Emperors decree its extermination, there it stands. Atheists rail against it, there it stands. Agnostics smile cynically, there it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it, there it stands. Unbelief abandons it, there it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. 
The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. Here's some quotes worth pondering. A mind with no spiritual inclinations makes no sense. Learning just makes good sense. So does teaching. God gave everyone patience. Wise people use it. A person who hungers for money will starve to death spiritually. He who is waiting for something to turn up might start with his own shirt sleeves. Your temper is like a fire. It gets very destructive when it gets out of control. No civil law can change evil into good or vice into virtue. Conscience is God's built-in warning system. Be very happy when it hurts you. Be very worried when it doesn't. Although the tongue weighs very little, few people are able to hold it. Man, wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about antitypes and types. And actually, it's types and antitypes. Types is what we'd see in the Old Testament. Antitype is the in the New Testament. And we looked at the scriptures. Uh, that uh, one example, when we look at uh, where the scriptures teach us principles, it's not just a man-made yeah. thing. Yeah, you know, sometimes I think people imagine, oh, you guys just made that up. That's just that's just your way of interpreting the Bible so that you can come up with your, the conclusions that you want. You invent your own rules of Bible interpretation. That's not true. I, we don't want it to be true. It better not be. Yeah, we, it better not be. We want to be careful to, to, as the Apostle Paul said, handle the right, the word of truth. Um but this idea of type and antitype is taught in the scriptures, clearly taught in the scriptures. Um, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 14. In the New American Standard Version, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Adam was a type of Jesus. All right? Going all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. So there's there's some some hints of what would come in Adam himself. There were some hints of the Savior who would come later. But actually the word type is used there. Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. The word there, the Greek word is tupos. And that's the very word from which we take our English word type. And so there it is in the text. We didn't make that up. It's right there in the text. Um Look at another place, Colossians 2, 14, beginning. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, skipping down to verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, notice, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Uh, now, it's not saying type and antitype. Here, it's using the word shadow and reality, or shadow and body. You know, here, if you if you had a man standing in the sunshine and he casts a shadow over here on the ground, here's the shadow. Well, the shadow sort of tells what the man is like. Uh, it gives some indication of his form, but it's not the man. Right. It's a shadow of the man. It's an indicator. It's not. It, it, you could you could tell something about the man by the Similar. shadow. Similar. Yeah. But the reality is the man himself. Yeah. All right. And that's that's the imagery used here in Colossians two fourteen through seventeen. The things of the Old Testament were a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And so the Old Testament were a shadow. The New Testament, the the real thing. Yeah. 
Okay. Right. Very clearly taught there. Yeah. And that same language is used over in Hebrews chapter 8. The book of Hebrews, boy, if you want to see type and antitype oh, yeah. uh, illumi- are illustrated there, boy, the book of Hebrews is chock full of it. And the Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, talking about Christ. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Yeah. So that Christ is, or the things of the Old Testament there is referred as that, that shadow again. That copy. Yeah, it calls it a, a copy and a shadow yeah. of the real things in heaven. Right. And then in 9, chapter 9, beginning verse 22, Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for, note, the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. But the heavenly things themselves would better sacrifice these. So he's talking about how uh, the the things uh, of the old law in the tabernacle were sanctified with the sprinkling of animals' blood. He says, the, but they were copies of, th- of the things in heavens. And the real things had to be sanctified with something better than animal blood. He's talking about the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. And then also in chapter 9 of Hebrews, it says, the pre- this is chapter 9 beginning verse 6, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Notice this, the Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, the Holy Spirit was using that Old Testament system, how, how that the priest went into the holy place every day, but the, only the high priest went into the most holy place once every year to make atonement for the, for the sins of the people with blood. And the Holy Spirit was signifying or revealing something uh, that, actually was signifying this is not the final plan, uh, that the way to the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. In other words, what was in the most holy place? Well, that was where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the mercy seat was, which represented the presence of God. It wasn't the real presence of God, but it represented the type of heaven. But you couldn't go there. Right. In fact, only the high priest could go there only once a year yep. and only with the blood of animals, which yep. he offered for himself the sins of the people. The Holy Spirit was signifying, basically, access to God is not here yet. Yes. And but it but it was a figure, he says. It was a figure for the time to come. Verse 24 adds to that, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The, holy, the most holy place was a type of heaven, the anti-type being heaven itself, and uh, the high priest entered into that type of heaven. Christ entered into heaven itself, the anti-type. Exactly right. Now, here's one more, and then we'll, we'll move on. But, here's, but what we're really stressing here, Jacob, is this interpretive tool of type and anti-type is not an invention of men. God is the one who put this into play. He's the one who used this as a method of revelation. Uh, but here's here's a neat one. We use this passage. We've we've talked about this a lot on the Virtual Bible Study. First Peter three, beginning verse twenty. The long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Now notice this. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
the ex- the expression there in the King James at the start of verse 21, the like figure, we're into baptism, doth also now save us, like figure, that's from the Greek word antitupon. Uh-huh. Antitype. Remember we said, we said over in Romans 5.14, the word type is there. Yeah. Here's the word antitype. So we didn't even make up the words. The, the, the like figure whereunto baptism must also now save us. Now, think about that a minute, because our Baptist friends try to explain away, uh, 1 Peter 3.21, they say, well, that's just a figure. You know, that's just a figure. Baptism is just a figure. No. The figure was Noah and the flood. That was the type. The antitype is our salvation in baptism. In fact, the New American Standard Version says, and corresponding to that, Corresponding to what happened to Moses. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves us. The American Standard Version says, the true likeness whereunto baptism does now save us. So, baptism is the antitype. That's what it says there. That's the Greek word. Baptism is the antitype. Baptism is the real deal. Moses and the flood was a type. The deliverance that God provided for Moses and his family on the ark in the flood, that was a type a shadowy foregoing of something that was going to happen later. What was it that was going to happen later? Peter says what was going to be happening later was that we would be saved by baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you can't explain that away by saying, oh, it's just a figure. No, that's probably a bad word to use in the King James Version. Baptism is not just a figure you can throw away, insignificant. Baptism is the anti-type of what Noah and the ark was the type of this important antitype. If that's the case, then we'd have to throw away Christ, because he was a antitype. we have to throw away heaven. We just talked about it. That's an antitype. You'd have to throw away a lot of stuff. Just because it's an antitype doesn't mean it's not real, and it's not applicable. Yeah, well, in fact, the fact that it's an antitype means it is real. It is more real than the, the other. It's more real than the type. Yeah. The type was just a shadowy foregoing the antitype is the real fulfillment. Right. And, and Peter here is saying that baptism f- saves us. It's the real fulfillment of what Noah and the ark were just a shadowy foregoing. All right. 877-381-4567. When it's not controversial, folks don't uh, chime in on the phone in the chat room. But Monty doesn't chime in either when it's not controversial. Monty, are we, uh, you know? Don't go to sleep over there, Monty. Uh, I probably talked too much last time I was here. Oh, he's making <laughs> no, up for no, 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 no. Okay, all right. Uh, but I do think this is important, and uh, we'll take a break here in a minute, and then, then we're going to go to some some cautions to use and some principles to remember when we're applying type and antitype. But uh, I, I like what you were saying earlier, Jacob. That there's there's a, a hint here of God's powerful inspiration. You know that he could that he could plant these little uh, nuggets in the Old Testament. And we see them fulfilled in the New Testament. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it is amazing faith building. Ephesians chapter 3 also reminds us that uh, when we see this type, you know, going all the way back to Adam, Noah and the ark, when we see this type of these type of events happening, it shows us that our salvation that God planned through Christ was not just something that just happened, that he just, it just sort of, Chance, you know, it just, it, random events happen and uh, uh, sort of off the cuff or uh, spur of the moment. Yeah, no. Ephesians chapter uh, three, verse nine, verse ten. To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be known to by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can see 
God working this salvation that we enjoy now out throughout the ages as he dealt with mankind, he's looking forward to and planning and setting the stage for Christ to come and be our, our salvation. Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. Well, let's take a break a little bit early. You know, you know there's nobody listening to us tonight. You know why? I think Donald Trump is I talking to I think he preempted them. us. I think, I think the presidential uh, Republican primary uh, convention. He preempted us. So we're going to have a lot of folks in the recording tonight. Yeah, That's all right. Probably so. Probably That's so. all right. So you, if you're listening to us. I'm going to tell you, I bet Donald Trump doesn't know anything about type and anti-type. <laughs> he probably he thinks he does. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a break and get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. In writing about the qualification of deacons, Paul said that they ought to, quote, first be proved, 1 Timothy 3, verse 10. His point is obvious. Before a man should be appointed to serve in this special office in the church, he should have demonstrated his faithfulness, his zeal, and his commitment to the Lord. The church does not need someone who has to be specially recognized before he does any work. It needs to be a man who's already working and who will continue to work whether he receives any recognition or not. While Paul was specifically speaking about deacons in the text cited, there are some things implied that have application to all Christians. First, you should realize that you are currently establishing a reputation. Others in the congregation are viewing your work and service. They are developing an opinion of you. As they think of you, will they see you as either a steady worker or as a mere spectator in the work of the church? Which will it be? Second, if it's right to hold potential deacons up to this kind of scrutiny, why would it not also be proper to use the same approach regarding folks who might be selected for other roles in the church? Preachers, Bible class teachers, those who serve in the public worship, and so forth, all need to, quote, first be proved. And then finally, while some will complain about this kind of judging, it's clear that the Lord expects us to do it. Read John 7, verse 24. If you want to serve, then you must be willing to, quote, first be proved. And so, Christian, how are you doing? As your brothers and sisters look to you, do they see someone who is proving himself as a faithful disciple? Such evaluations are taking place continually. How do you rate? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hey, Mommy. I'm too old. Um, this is the virtual Bible study. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. Back on the program tonight, Sharon in South Carolina. Hey, Sharon. Thank you, Sharon, for <laughs> being to have out, you out there tonight. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're out there by yourself. I hope you don't feel lonely. But uh, we're, we're talking about type and antitypes on the program tonight. I want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com where you can find audio from our recent community Bible study, you'll want to check that out. Yeah, now that's on our homepage at collegeview.com. It's just just almost the first thing you come to there, and you can get video or two forms of audio, MP3 or WMA, whichever you like better. And we'll try to. You're going to do that tonight. You're going to. Uh, it's going to be in the sermon up, feed. Yep. Both both but, nights yep. uh, on the sermon podcast. Yes. Feed. And if you're listening to this in the recording because you were tuned into that uh, political convention tonight, you'll definitely want to check out the community Bible study oh, yeah. lessons. Yeah, because you know, they they're were really, right up your they're right up your alley. Yeah, they were really good. No, they it's it's way different than what you heard. At but the, no, but if you're yeah. interested in politics, you'll want to hear those lessons because yeah, Steve's got some very pertinent uh, messages. And he's for talking us about there. what is. Way more important than what's going on in Cleveland right. tonight. Right. Okay. Yeah. All Check right. it out. Check out the sermon podcast feed. Sign up resources is the page you want to go to at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. All right. Uh, somebody listening in Ohio. Hello. Glad to have you there. Thank Who you. is that? I don't in know. Ohio? It's I don't a know. more than one. It's yeah, weird. We are listening. listening. Thank Good. you, Ohio. Good. 
Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, that's where the convention is, actually, is in Ohio. So not everybody in Ohio is paying attention yeah. to the Republican National Convention. you're here tonight. Okay, let's talk about this. The second question we asked in our update today was, what are some principles to remember when trying to discern biblical types and antitypes? And I think Chris from the U.K. had a, a good statement there uh, in regards to that. What did he say, Jacob? Uh, he said, uh, you need to have these brought from the text, not read into them. Mm. Looking for useful words like type, shadow, pattern, Parable, copy, likeness, those words, those are, those are the key words. They will assist in this. Uh, so the Bible isn't, uh, he says, I'm sorry, the Bible isn't solely about you. So, for example, Goliath isn't a picture of the <laughs> giants in your life you need to overcome. Yeah. You know, that, now that's an example. I think that's a good example of what yeah, some people do. Some, some people want to make everything an example yeah. or a shadow or a type. Yeah. And so I'm facing some real giants in my life, like David faced Goliath. No. Uh, that, that's reading into the text. That's exactly what Chris is saying. And I think he's exactly right. Okay. So let's talk about some principles to remember. Uh, first of all, the Old Testament is real history. And it's talking about real people, places, events. Uh, and all of that, even if it wasn't predictive or prophetic, all of that was preparatory to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh uh, the things that happened there, the people that God chose, he deliberately chose them uh, to be the ones who would bring to pass the coming of the Messiah into the world. Right. Uh, so it, it's uh, all of the Old Testament is real. Uh, it's real history. And even though we're saying some of those things serve as types or shadows, we do not mean by that that they're not actual events. Yes. They are real events. They're real people. They're places things that happened and so forth, and they're there for a reason. By God. God's providence and his sovereignty, he's able to, to have these things play out in such a way that they, 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 the imagery works throughout throughout time. Exactly right. All right. Um, now, to declare that one of those real events of the Old Testament serves as a type or a shadow or a, pro, a prophetic foregoing, there's got to be some reasonable evidence that such was designed by God for the purpose of previewing its fulfillment in the New Testament. Uh, and and so, some of that just requires good sense. You know, just use your good sense. Uh, uh, we see some of them. We're going to talk about them a little bit here in a minute. We, we Some of them we see definitely identified. And those ones that we see as definitely being identified kind of give us a... a a, a training session in how we might identify some others that are not right, specified. Right, right. right. It doesn't that have makes to be explicitly specified. Yeah, yeah. In other some words. are. Some are. Some are. A lot are. Yeah. But and the ones that are can kind of serve as a, uh, as I said, a, like a, a, an illustration or a training yeah. as to how we might pick out a few others. Establish those principles. Yes. All right. So the, 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 those two things. To remember. Here's another thing to remember. When studying, just like when we study the parables of Jesus. We've got to distinguish between the essential elements of the parable and the things that are just incidental. Uh, what's one of the most famous parables uh, of the New Testament? Jesus taught maybe the parable of Good Samaritan. Which side of the road was the Good Samaritan on? <laughs> well, I don't know which side. What color was the donkey that, that the Good Samaritan yeah, put? Put yeah. the Good Samaritan was helping the wounded man. But uh, what color was the donkey? 
It was a white donkey, maybe. I don't know what color it was. It's not revealed. It's not even important to the story. How tall was the donkey? How old was the donkey? You know, uh, how far away did he take him to the inn? How far away was the inn? All all incidentals to the story, you know. that we've got to remember that too. Some things are not meant to be types, and and so don't try to to make everything a type. Mm-hmm. I think that's a principle to remember. All right. Then finally, remember, types always graduate to antitypes. It goes from the lesser to the greater, from the material to the spiritual, from the earthly to the heavenly. So everything in the Old Testament would be lesser. And the fulfillment in the New Testament would be greater. Things in the Old Testament would be of a, typically a material nature. Uh, things in the New Testament would be of a spiritual nature. That may be a little bit oversimplification. But things in the Old Testament would be pertaining to earthly things. Things in the New Testament would be pertaining to heavenly things. That's the way this, it always goes that direction, not okay. the other. All right, so those are some do's, some things that you need to remember about types and antitypes. There's some things you should avoid as well. Okay, let's talk about things to avoid. A couple of extremes. One extreme is to say, I don't believe there are any viable or legitimate types in the Bible. You know, in other words, one extreme to avoid would be discounting this teaching methodology that God used altogether. It's there. It's real. And I think we've already illustrated in our discussion tonight that God actually did use these methods to to reveal things to us. Uh, you know, people who de- typically deny the supernatural, we often refer to them as modernists. The modernists who want to deny the supernatural in the Bible, uh, the miracles that happened, but also to deny the actual literal inspiration of the word of god they they obviously would want to deny this type and any type sort of arrangement because it it would indicate god was doing something supernatural and re- revealing himself in a miraculous way and they and they don't want to believe that anyway yeah um so uh don't don't just dismiss this it's real the bible actually teaches this way secondly Another extreme to avoid, don't limit the use of scriptural types to only the places where the New Testament clearly identifies the types. Uh, we already looked at some places where the Bible said, this is type, this is antitype. There are those places. But there are other places, too. So it, uh, um, don't imagine that everything is a type. But then again, don't limit types and antitypes only to places where... It actually says so. Okay. All right. All right. Um, would, if, for instance, here's 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 a question. I think everybody would agree to the answer to this. Would you would you argue that the only true prophecies of the Old Testament were the ones that are quoted in the New Testament? Right. Right. No. Right. Yeah. There are lots of prophecies in the Old Testament that are not referred to the in the New Testament. They were, but they were still true prophecies in the Old Testament. Same way with type and antitype. Just because it doesn't say it's a type and antitype uh, relationship, don't don't d- discount the possibility that it is. All right. And then finally, uh, again, uh, don't 
try to make every detail of all of the events uh, and the entire system of the Old Testament representative of something in the New Testament. And I think this is an extreme we've got to be really careful about. Because I've talked to some people who want to make every single little detail of the Old Testament indicative of something in the New. You know, uh, 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 the cords and the pegs in the tabernacle construction meant this or that. Really? How would you know that? I mean, I you know, yeah. yeah just be careful about trying to. As Chris in the UK said, don't try to read every read into the text uh, all those kind of things. And, and I really liked it when he pointed out that uh, there there's some really good key words to look for: type, shadow, pattern, parable, copy, likeness. Uh, he went on to say, uh, what are some extremes to avoid? Uh, along with the narcissistic eisegesis referenced before. There's the overdoing it, like playing Where's Wally in the Bible, shoehorning Jesus into every story. Sometimes objects and numbers are just objects and numbers. I think he's exactly right about that. Yeah, where, Where's Wally must be the British version of Where's Waldo. Yeah. Right? So you're, you're looking for the little hidden thing throughout the whole Bible. Yeah. Not necessarily and, there. And, and especially what he said in the Old I've known of people who, in every Old Testament event, they try to see something about Jesus in every. And they're not there, as he said. Sometimes numbers, uh, what, what, how do you numbers say? Numbers and objects figures. are yeah. just numbers and objects. Yeah. So right. don't try to make it more than that. All right. Well, let's quickly uh, get into some of these examples then, uh, because there are many. There are numerous. We won't be able to get to them all. Uh, some examples uh, from the scriptures where uh, it actually tells us things are types and antitypes. Well, a classic one uh, that I think, let's, let's see, uh, I don't think Chris mentioned this, but, but I think maybe one real easy to see is Melchizedek yep. and Jesus. Uh, in Genesis chapter 14, you may remember Lot and his family, along with a lot of other people, had been taken captive in a war. Abraham went and rescued them as he was returning with uh, those people and their possessions. Melchizedek came out to meet him. And in Genesis 14, verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Uh, notice Melchizedek was a king and a priest. A king and a priest. And Abraham, or Abram, paid tithes to him. That's the full story of Melchizedek in the Old Testament. That's, there's three verses there. And, and that's, that's, uh, a, that's all you get out of the Old Testament. That's too. right. That's, that's all you get. Now, but if you look in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 6, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, uh, verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, wherein the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met, a- who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Notice, he was made like unto the Son of God. He was a king, he was a priest, he was without father, without mother, without descent, 
no beginning, no ending. Now, I don't think that's true, literally, of Melchizedek. I think Melchizedek was a man. I think Melchizedek had a, a mother and a father. But they're not recorded for us in the Genesis. We've read the three verses, the whole three verses. He doesn't have a pedigree in the Old Testament. It, it, he just shows up. Yeah. And then he's gone. His beginning and his end is not described. And so that was a, a, a sort of a, a shadow, a foregoing of what Jesus would be in reality. Jesus is, is eternal. Uh, uh, Jesus is a king and a priest. And so you see that Melchizedek serves as a, a shadowy foregoing of the reality that Jesus would be when he came to serve as our high priest eternally. All right. Well, there's another figure in the Bible along the lines of Melchizedek, and that being of Moses. And Stephen references Moses' instruction along these lines. In verse 37 of Acts chapter 8, Stephen says, This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles and gave to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. Now, Stephen references Moses, that, who was pointing to Christ and saying that he was a type of Christ who was to come. Yeah, now think about Moses. What was unique? We, we said Melchizedek was king and priest. Jesus is king and priest. What was Moses? Moses was a, a lawgiver and a prophet. What's right. Jesus? He's the ultimate lawgiver and prophet. Right. And so Moses, as great as he was, wasn't as great as Jesus. Remember we said it always goes from lesser to greater. But Moses was a type. And he said, yeah, you were quoting Acts, uh, Acts 7. 7, but in Acts chapter 3, Peter says, verse 22, Moses truly said to the fathers of prophets, shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. So, so Peter made that point, too. You get the idea that these inspired teachers in the New Testament thought this type, any type thing was pretty significant. Yes. Uh, and they identified it. They identified it here for us. We're not just guessing at that. Yes. Uh, they're telling us Melchizedek was a foregoer. Moses was a was a shadow of what Jesus would be in reality. All right. Lots. And Moses was also a deliverer. He was a deliverer, people. brought them out of captivity. Christ brings us out of captivity. Lots and lots of parallels. You know, you think about Moses' birth. What was going on when Moses was born? They were trying to kill all the ba- young, the male babies. What happened when Jesus was born? They tried to kill all the male babies. Uh, lots of parallels. Where did Moses? Where was Moses saved from that uh, genocide there of babies? Uh, and in Egypt, Christ went to Egypt to, to escape uh, the death that was awaiting him as an infant. Uh, lots of parallels, but the parallel being that, that Moses was a lawgiver. And a uh, and a prophet and a deliverer uh, yeah, from captivity. Exactly right. All right, let's take a break. When we get back, there's more type and a type relationships. Again, all the way through the scriptures, we're seeing these. It's amazing. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue. Hopefully, with your comments right after this. Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. 
After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The typical American adult is using media for a full hour a day more than just last year, with smartphones accounting for most of the increase. People spend an average of 10 hours, 39 minutes each day with smartphones, tablets, TV, radio, computers, and video games. That's during the first three months of 2016, according to Nielsen and Company. It was 9 hours, 39 minutes during the same period in 2015. Even these numbers are probably underestimated since Nielsen measures the amount of time spent online on smartphones, but it doesn't count texting, taking selfies, or talking on the phone. An estimated 81% of American adults use a smartphone regularly, with the number of users growing by more than 20 million in the past year. That information is via the Associated Press. Romans 12 verse 21 says... Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. Back on the program tonight, going to the top of the hour, looking at examples of types and antitypes in the New Testament. Chris in the UK submits some. Yeah, let's go through his, because we haven't heard from Chris in, in quite a while. Glad to have you back, Chris. Uh, yeah. g- good examples here. Yeah. Uh, he says Galatians chapter 4, verses 23 through 26, Hagar and Sarah representing law and grace. That's exactly right. And that, that's, that's a type and an type. First Peter 3, 20 and 21, we talked about Noah's Ark and salvation. Exactly. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, referencing the Sabbath and Christ's finished work. Now that's a, a good one, because okay. the, the, the Sabbath rest represented uh, the rest we can have through Christ. Right. All right. And uh, Joseph, rejected by his own, sentenced despised, be, despite being innocent, amongst other things, is a Joseph. Yeah, being there's, a, there's a lot of that. shadowy uh, indicators in the case of Joseph. That, that's a lot of lessons been taught on Joseph as a as a sort of a forerunner of Christ. All right, now here we go. The sacrifice of Isaac. It was a three day journey on Mount Moriah. The same as Mount Calvary, as Calvary, and maybe maybe the same, definitely in the same neighborhood there as Jerusalem. He carried his own wood. Christ carried his own cross. He went willingly. At least he's at least a teen, and he's over, and he and and Abraham was over ninety, um, and among amongst others. Us, amongst other things. Interesting. I don't know if I'd really thought about Isaac. Okay. Yep. Uh, the Passover lamb, definitely. As a symbol or a type, a shadow of Jesus being the perfect sacrifice. And uh, he asked a question, is marriage a type, referencing Ephesians chapter th- 5, verses You know, it may be, and I hadn't really thought about that either, but it, that, that passage is telling us uh, husbands to love our wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Right, and Revelation uh, would talk about us being the bride of Christ as a church. Yeah, and so maybe that is, maybe that, there's, there's some shadow or indication of of Christ and the church seen in the marriage institution that God started way back in 
Genesis chapter 2. All right. Uh, let us know if you have any other Good, good ones, Chris. Great, yeah. great example. Uh, talk about the Passover lamb. Look throughout time. The God uh, required a lamb uh, to be sacrificed for uh, forgiveness of sins. In the law of Moses, we see the lamb. Yeah, uh, I, I had that on my list, too. At the Passover, it had to be a spotless lamb, Exodus 12, verse 5, and no bones of that Passover lamb were to be broken, Exodus 12, verse 46. Well, in the case of Jesus, he was spotless or sinless, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. And no, interestingly, no bones were broken. Now, that was prophesied. That was actually prophesied that no bones would be broken. But that would also be a parallel right. to the Passover lamb. No bones broken, John 19, verse 33. Pretty good stuff there. John recognized the significance of the type-antitype relationship in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said... Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John understood the type-antitype relationship between the Passover Lamb and Christ. Yeah. And you know, throughout time, God required blood in order uh, for sins to be forgiven. And he wanted those animal sacrifices all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the story of Cain and Abel. Now, why was that? Certainly, Cain was sacrificing things that he'd worked hard for. Perhaps even worked harder for the vegetables that he offered than... Uh, then Abel had worked for that, that animal that he sacrificed. But God had this type antitype thing going and explaining to us that blood would be required for, uh, for the sacrifice. Yeah. Um, so we got people, we got activities, we got some places, I think, that are used as types. I think Egypt is used as a type or a symbolism of the, and the bondage that the people of God suffered in Egypt is used as a type of the bondage of sin. Uh, I think uh, the Apostle Paul draws on that, Romans chapter 6, verse 17. God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, or slaves of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And so the idea of in bondage, uh, the, the children of Israel were literally in bondage in Egypt, and we are in the bondage of sin, but we have been delivered. As they were delivered, we have been delivered. All right. Um, Babylon. Interesting. You know, we read about Babylon in the Old Testament. Babylon, of course, the capital uh, of the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar took the people of Judah captive, and so. Uh, Babylon was a, an oppressor of God's people. Notice Revelation 14, verse 8. There followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Well, that's not talking about Babylon of the Old Testament. That's talking about a, a Babylon of the first century time frame. That was responsible for oppressing God's people. Babylon in the Old Testament oppressed God's chosen people. Babylon here in the New Testament, that, that's a symbolism. That's, that's drawing from the shadowy picture of the Old Testament to a reality of that time in the first century when there was a, a an oppression of God's people by this then current Babylon. All right. Not literal Babylon, but, a, but a, used as a representation. Okay. All right. Excellent examples there. Uh, we talked about the brazen serpent. We talked about the tabernacle being a sort of a symbol of things in the New Testament. Um, how about manna from heaven? Uh, John chapter 6, 
verse 31. Jesus said, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So Jesus is saying the manna that the children of Israel uh, were given to eat in the Old Testament times was a representation of him. That bread sustained their physical right, life. Right. And he is. he says that he is the, the bread of God that gives life to the world spiritually right that in the old testament the manna preserved their physical life in the new testament jesus is the bread that gives us spiritual life all right excellent type what about uh, the day of atonement that was a big one in the old testament that that once a day atoning for the sins and hebrews chapter 9 talks about that uh, as christ is the uh, anti-type of that day of atonement in uh, hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 for christ has not entered the holy places made with hands which are copies of the true but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of god for us and not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another he would then have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ has, was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly await for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. That was that once a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place, representative type, a type of heaven, with the sacrifice for sins. Christ, with his blood, has gone to heaven uh, and presented that to cry, uh, to God to save us from our sins, to provide right. us atonement for our sins. Yeah, and exactly right. I heard Bill Hall in a sermon on this, that last part of verse 28. You think about the people waiting outside the tabernacle as the high priest went in with the blood, and when he came out, they realized their, their atonement. Yeah, forgiven, yeah. Right? He says, we'll see Christ as he comes out of heaven to get us. Oh, it's neat. He'll, he'll appear again yeah. a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. That's when we will enjoy uh, the fulfillment of that salvation. Okay, we're just out of time. Let me give you one more. We, we alluded to this earlier. Jesus, there, in the Old Testament time, there were three offices to which men were anointed. Three anointed offices. Prophet, priest, and king. In other words, you had to be anointed to those offices. Prophet, priest, king. Well, Jesus is... All three of those. He's prophet, Acts 3, verse 20. He's priest, Hebrews 3, verse 1. He's king, Revelation 17, verse can you read more, right? 12, 17, 12. Uh, so all of the anointed offices of the Old Testament were sort of a hint of what Jesus would be completely in the New Testament. All right, excellent. Uh, we haven't even touched oh, on a, 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 a fraction more. of There's of a lot those. more. There's a lot more. But I, I, I would just emphasize again as we summarize, we're not making that up. No. That's in there. Yeah, and it's really a, a a good indicator of the inspiration of the scriptures that God put all that in there and tied it all together in such a neat package. And so it is encouragement to us to to study as we we yeah. can see that that perfectly unified theme, God's plan for us yeah. throughout the ages, and uh, and certainly uh, it, it helps us to understand. For instance, Galatians chapter three verse twenty four: the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. That that Old Testament form and structure there yeah. helps us to realize 
how important the things are that we enjoy through Christ. We may take for granted otherwise, but we yeah. can see the, the benefit of, of knowing the Old Testament. And I just want to reiterate what Chris said in his email. Uh, while it's while there's a lot of that in there, be careful about not trying to read too much. trying to read right. too much into that. And I really like the way he said it. Sometimes objects and numbers are just objects and numbers, and they don't mean anything prophetic. And so don't try to make more of it than this. But there's definitely something there. there and I'd, I would say there are, there are enough of them to keep you busy that you won't have to be making them up. Right. Exactly. Yeah, there's enough of those those type and antitype relations. Yeah. Exactly. All right, Monty. Uh, Monty, you. We need to check it for a pulse over there. <laughs> I expounded all the knowledge I had on the subject tonight as we went through the program. All right. Thank you, Mike, for being here. All right. Thank you. And uh look forward to uh, uh, next week uh, being with you back. Maybe maybe tonight was just a type of what will be better next week. With you, Monty. <laughs> yeah, thank you for your time. Thanks, Thank you for being here, Monty. And thank you for joining us on the program tonight. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you. Put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.